millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. This week I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Callum Petch. Hello. As we take a look at last week or so in film, including reviews of new releases, Minions and Knock Knock, among other things. We're going to start off, as we always do, with the quiz. Um, yes. Where Owen is desperately trying to win so he can find a film worse than United Passions for me to watch. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I did find one recently, actually, but I can't let you watch it because it was a screener. It wasn't a... <laughs> and it's not out yet. But I, when that comes out, bear in mind, I am going to make you watch that. It is literally... I mean, it, I didn't think I'd watch a film worse than United Passions this year, but I did. Um, I, I, would li- I would like to remind you all that um, Accidental Love came out, um, but also the Entourage movie exists, so... Well, I do need to see United Passions, actually. Is that Accidental Love the one that was the David O. Russell film that he... Yeah, disowned? yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's awful. Yeah, Paul also said that was worse than United Passions, so I'm avoiding it, basically. United, um, Passion, United Passions is my punishment for not being specific when I say I'd like to see Tim Roth in more movies. <laughs> this, is, this is what I get. I'm not specific, and this happens. Yes, although he did say he was playing the role ironically, which doesn't come across <laughs> in his performance. Hmm. Yeah, but... um, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I don't think he was. I think he just took the paycheck. Definitely, definitely. From FIFA's self-funded shower. Propaganda shite. That is yeah. never coming out over here, though. That is guaranteed to never get a UK release. Oh, it's just... It's like it's... the anti-Snowpiercer. It is the anti snow piercer, yeah. Um, it's just anti everything, everything <laughs> possible. It is except for set blatter on FIFA. Oh, it's it's pro set blatter, massively pro set blatter. I think I've, I think I've said this before, but there are dictators with more credible leadership skills than set blatter, like general gen, like despots, despots, and things like that, who are genuinely better at running something. Their country than Blatter is at running FIFA. I, I I guess I have to watch this now in time for next week. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know, Carl. I don't think we've ever mentioned this before. But you, are you a football fan or not? Um, no, not really. I no. really could not give a shit. But you, you have been, have you been following this FIFA scandal at all? Yes, I watched last week tonight. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So you'll you'll know all about it then. So. You might get something out of United Passions. Lots of people have found it to be a comedy. Um, <laughs> an, an unintentional, co- unintentional comedy. Yeah. Ah, my favourite kinds of comedies. Yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, I hated it with a passion. So yeah, that, that is a full blown recommendation for me then. Yeah, possibly, possibly is. But um, yeah, so I'm gonna if I do win this quiz eventually, Steve, or if people win it for me, um, or even Bella, if you lose, then you're gonna have to watch something that I can find that will be worse than United Passions. You won't. I'm sure there must won't. be something. I've watched you make watch make you watch Kill Keith and United Passions, so do your worst. <laughs> oh, man. Right, Callum, bring your A game. It's like the fucking Cold War here. Isn't it? it's, like, <laughs> it's getting like that. Right. So the quiz this week, I thought, um, as the news that we're going to talk about is uh, Tom Holland being cast as Spider-Man, I've gone for a very Spider-Man movie-centric uh, quiz theme. But, you know, it's basically all you've got to do is say whether th- something's true or false. Okay, and there's also a little bonus thing that ties into that. So it's as simple as me reading out something, you saying true or false. And I've got three questions each. And we'll start with Steve. So, Steve, question one. Spider-Man 3, or the first statement rather than question, Spider-Man 3 was the first uh, live-action Spider-Man film in which a main villain survives at the end. True or false? I've got to remember which the which the villain. What? It was Venom and... Hmm. Um... True, true or false? True. <laughs> tick tock, true. True. Yes, it was true. And for the bonus question, which villain was it? Sandman. Yes, Sandman. I'll take that. There you go. First question you've got right. Yeah. So, Callum, your turn. In The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Paul Giamatti portrays Alexei... Sitzovich, I think that's how you pronounce his name. But initially, he auditioned for the role of Doctor Octopus. True or false? Gonna say false. False. Okay, it is false. Um, but what is the character he plays, Alexei Sitzovich's uh, alias? What is he also known as? Uh, the prophetic excuse for the Amazing Spider-Man Two calls for Rhino. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. So. Both right. This is going better than any other quiz we've done recently. Normally they start... Oh, it's because there's high stakes. There's high stakes yeah. here, Owen. We have high stakes for people who want to ensure that we have huge payoffs here and investing. <laughs> you get good quizzes. Yes. So, Steve, second uh, statement. Tobey Maguire auditioned for the role of, Sp- of Spider-Man via a homemade video in which he wore his girlfriend's blue leggings over his face, did a handstand and made himself cry. True or false? False. False, it was. But which other actor in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films also auditioned for the role of Peter Parker? Um, James Franco. Yeah, both. Right. Yeah, well done. (laughs) So, Callum. To prepare for his role as Spider-Man, this actor studied the movements of spiders and tried to incorporate them as much as he could into his performance. True or false? Gonna say true. True? Uh, yeah, it was true, but which actor was it? Uh <laughs> Who would study the movements of spiders the most? 
I don't know, because uh, I wanted to say Tobey Maguire, but I get a feeling it's a trick, uh, it's a trick answer here. It's not a trick answer, really. Oh, so, well, if I say Tobey Maguire, you're going to say it's wrong. Are you saying Tobey Maguire? Sod it, why not? You're wrong. <laughs> it was Andrew Garfield. Studied uh, the movements of spiders and tried to incorporate... And wasted his time doing so in shit exactly. movies. Yes. Precisely, and then they've been the rest of them. But I didn't. Been... But I didn't think he was a bad Spider-Man. Oh I no, I, like... he, I just thought I he was. He was in a. He was in bad Spider-Man films. Yeah, no, 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 no. He he was good with the absolute garbage he was given. Precisely. So. Yeah. So, Steve, your final question: Only one Spider-Man film has ever won an Oscar. True or false? Uh. It's going to be if it is for like some technical achievement, isn't it? So I'm going to say it was. Yeah, it didn't get best picture. Put it that it's way. Going to, yeah, it's going to be like best editing in a special effects. It, something. Yeah, close. Yeah, pretty yeah. pretty spot on. Actually, it was visual yeah. effects. Yeah. So yeah, true. True. Yes. Correct. Just did that one. I know he did. That's <laughs> like, okay, well, it's not going to be. Well, I don't know, it'll be something technical. You're like, yeah, yeah, it was something technical. You <laughs> idiot. Yeah. But which film was it? It was, um, the first one with Tobey Maguire. Is incorrect. It was Spider-Man Two. Two. Yeah. So, Callum. You could win this if you get both of these. Uh, and if Owen gives you an answer. Oh, no, you can't. It would be tied. Sorry, it would be tied. And if I give you the answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in 1986, at the height of Hulkamania, Canon Studios were preparing to make and release a Spider-Man film, with Hulk Hogan set to reprise the role of Thunderlips from the Rocky franchise in a supporting role. True or false? It sounds way too stupid to be false, it really <laughs> Saying True. Why not? If it's if it's if I'm wrong, then at least it's hilarious. <laughs> it's false. It was it wasn't true, I'm afraid. Um, follow up question. The follow up question would have been which famous wrestler eventually appeared in Sam Raimi's Macho Man Randy Savage. Yes, I would have also accepted. Oh, Macho Savage. Yeah. Oh yeah. So there you go. Steve's won. You've. Uh... Although I kind of feel like I've given that one to Steve, to be honest. Don't say! <laughs> yeah. What? Should we do the tiebreaker anyway? <laughs> should, should, we just, should we just make this fair and say it was a draw and we'll do the tiebreak? Yeah, I think that's only fair. Because you do keep trying to let me win for some reason. <laughs> By accident, yeah. Even though it doesn't help you whatsoever. I just, I just get too into my own quiz questions, that's the problem. Anyway, I mean, yeah. This, 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 like even tighter when it hits what like two arm and it has to be down to one big deciding week here. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, so um first one to sh- sort of show tape your name and then give me the answer wins basically. Which character in the Spider Man universe did Stan Lee say he wanted to play? Stan? Yep. Uh J. Jonah Jameson? It was J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, that was the character he said he really wanted to play. Well, I'm so glad they went with J.K. Simmons, seriously. Uh, yeah, can you can you just believe that? Getting Stan Lee, the massive pervert, to play. Not not just that, but also just like every single time I see Stan Lee in like, his cameo in Marvel films now, I just kind of sigh. 
it's just distracting now. It's just it's just old like, hat, isn't it? It's just like what's the point now? It's not even funny anymore. Or it's not even like it's not even like oh there's Stanley, there's his cameo, there he is, look at him, that that's funny. It's just like ugh, get on with it. Unless it's gonna like build to something where they're like old clones of the same guy and he becomes an integral part of it. But he's also like 92 and he'll probably be dead by the time they actually like bring it in. So Yeah. Yeah, true. Sorry, okay. I've gone on Mean Spirit in the Dark now. <laughs> wishing death on Stanley. Blimey. Not actually wishing death on it, but just like bring up the idea now. It's just like I'm a monster. <laughs> well, no one's going to argue with that. So we'll move on to the news. Steve? Yes. I think we talked about it a bit already. Yes. Uh, the news is that the new... Spider-Man, Peter Parker, has been cast. It is Tom Holland, a British actor who has been in the likes of The Impossible. Yes. And not, not, Tom, not, not Tom Hollander, Ben. That would be brilliant. That would be left-field casting, to say the least. Also been in... Um, been Played Billy Elliot on stage, hasn't he? The, uh Oh god, about musical. Of, uh, Eighteen months or so. I really don't like that musical. Steve actually reviewed Billy Elliot on the podcast. Well, I tried to do it seriously, and I got interrupted by Paul or Brooker or one of them, I think, and it just went <laughs> into a farce. Um, yes, yeah. But, but yes, I, I did watch it, and uh, it was it was all right. I like the idea that, we, that all, of the, all of your guests here are so interchangeable, you just don't know which one it is that interrupts you anymore. It's just uh, <laughs> one of them, possibly. It might have been both. It might have been a week where both of them were on. It, it seems to strike. It was chaos that, that yeah. week. Yeah. Well, them two That's together are not. Them, them two together are just uncontrollable. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, so Tom Holland. Uh, the only thing I think that I've like seen him in, like physically, is How I Live Now. But he was also he played um, Tom Hardy's son in Locke, but you only hear his voice. I've, um, only, like, I've only seen him through like, well, I've seen him in The Impossible, and I've seen him in How I Live Now, and he just seems to play annoying kid. I thought I, I, he was the best thing about How I Live Now, acting wise. I thought he was the best actor in it. But, you know, the, it was slim pickings, to be honest. Steve, I feel so sorry for you having gone and watched The Impossible. I like The Impossible. Did, did, you, do, did you do it out of charity for Ewan McGregor? Who just no. seems to be picking movies? Who just seems to be picking movies now as a cry for help? I'm, I'm still here. Notice me. <laughs> I've, I've heard him start to sort of say, yeah, I wouldn't mind getting back involved in doing another Star Wars film as Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi. <laughs> It's, it is like he's something from Stockholm Syndrome. Though. Sure you would. Considering the fact you said you hated making the prequel trilogy, probably as much yeah. as I hated watching them, but you know, sort of said, yeah, if they did kind of a, a prequel movie about Obi-Wan Kenobi or what he was doing while he was watching over Luke Skywalker while he was growing up, yeah, I'd be well up for that. Yeah, I bet you would. Yeah. Wasn't he no, just like a hermit who just lived in a cave? And Well, I mean, you could make up all kinds of stuff because... Um, uh, Disney now they thought Star Wars have wiped out all this expanded universe nonsense, and so now they could just say whatever they want, make up whatever they want that he did. It's like, it's like yeah, yeah, I know the last three times were bad, but I got a good feeling about this one. This one will be the time where it gets fun. Well, I mean, even Samuel L. Jackson's done that. He said, Well, you never saw Mace Windows' body, did you? 
Well, fair enough, Samuel, Samuel Jackson will appear in quite literally anything if you put a camera down and offer him a, like a free meal or something by this point. <laughs> does he still but demand? Probably, that, does he still demand that filming's got to be done like near a golf course? I think that's what he used. To, <laughs> I think that used to be one of his demands. He had to be able to play golf. Like if they were filming on location, there had to be a golf course nearby. What Samuel Jackson or or Ewan McGregor? Samuel Jackson. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, because you remember Gregor's demands would probably been motorcycle related or something. Those demands aren't that extravagant. I was, we've just established Callum doesn't watch football, but Javinho, player for Roma, I recently read oh, was going to move. This is to, brilliant, though. He, yeah, he was he was offered a contract at Al Jazeera, was it? I so think. it was some Middle Eastern team. Yeah, eighty five thousand pounds a week, and what he said was that wasn't good enough. He wanted his own helicopter and beach. <laughs> and, and a house and, and his house yeah how, how they made the beach private we just like, <laughs> like lab, we put landmines around all the entrances i just th- i just think what happened was they offered him a contract like the club offered him a club in a, a really minor league that doesn't have much effect on anything and he played in quite a big league now and he just said oh, well look if you want me he's gone stupid and gone right just give me all this stupid stuff and just play, you know, Chance's arm. If he gets it, brilliant. If he doesn't, so what? He doesn't care. Yeah. Mm. It was also possibly leverage for another contract with Roma. But well, no, anyway. But, yeah, anyway. I think this is a perfect indication of how little we actually care about the Spider-Man news. Well, yeah. I, think, I think it's how little we've actually seen Tom Holland in anything, so can't really base much of an opinion on him as an actor um, and how he's going to do playing quite a big role going forward, not just in... Um, uh, Civil War, but it, as Spider-Man in a, in a standalone Spider-Man film, I mean, somebody must trust him. I heard he was quite good in Wolf Hall, but in a very small role. I mean, I watched a couple of episodes of Wolf Hall and um, didn't really grab me. I know it makes me sound like I'm a bit thick, but I probably am. But I just didn't really get into Wolf Hall, and I, not enough to sort of watch it and comment on on Tom Holland, didn't it? So, like I said, the only things I've said... Oh, he also did the voice of show in the UK dubbed version of The Secret World of Variety, the Studio Ghibli film. Um, oh. So, he, you know, he's been in quite a few big things, really. But not, but not as the... Cent- I mean, he won't be central character in Civil War, but I don't think he's ever had such a, a big role as what that'll be. So it's, it's oh, just, no. no. This is another... Um, another... Yeah, it's... I... I was more excited when I thought when I thought Asa Butterfell was going to be, um, like the guy. Yeah, we we were talking to Tony uh, Black on our podcast recently about this, and he was sort of saying at the time that Asa Butterfield was the front runner. So Tom Holland getting cast is a bit of a a shock decision, really. Mm. But uh... I'm just I'm just still sad they didn't just cast Tobey Maguire back in the role there. Can, <laughs> like, like they could bring him in. Like then kill him off, bring on Miles Morales, and then that way you have J.K. Simmons on speed dial all the oh, time. Yes, because if if anybody else is playing J. Jonah Jameson, it's wrong. It's just wrong. Doesn't work. Nobody else. But um... so, like, that, that's that, that's the, that's the extent of my input on this news here. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think we can really. Talk. We've spoken at length about Spider-Man appearing in Civil War um, and Spider-Man getting another reboot. Yeah, I mean, the only thing to sort of add to it, really, is that um, the the fact that they've gone with a really young... Uh, well, you know, actually... He's under 18, the age he's 18 of isn't he? Or 17 or 18. He's born in 96, so... 
Uh, I think he might be 19, but he yeah. was... Um, he is going to be playing like a college or school age Spider-Man. Yeah, high school, yeah. Yeah, high school. So it, quite a big departure from the previous incarnations, really. Because Tobey Maguire, even though he was playing a guy at school, was pretty... He wasn't young when he was in that role. You didn't believe him as a high schooler. No, mm. Andrew Garfield was playing as still a high schooler, I think, but... Like, not just a high schooler, but also a lonely, a, like, a loner high schooler who can't fit in anywhere. It's by the fact that he looks and acts like Andrew Garfield. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, yeah, so I think that's that's it, really. Should we move on? Yes, we'll we'll move on. Hi, I'm here with a new addition to the Failed Critics podcast. I'm with Nick Lay. So, hello, Nick. Hello, mate. How's it going? Hello. It's going very well, actually. How about you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Good. You've been enjoying the Women's World Cup out there in Canada? I have, actually. I went to the England-Canada game yesterday in Vancouver. Uh, and it was actually very exciting. There was 55,000 people in there. Um, oh, yeah, I, I stayed up till 3am watching it. it I was... did. Well, that's dedication, to be fair. The, <laughs> the, it, it was interesting because soccer is obviously not a big deal over here as much. So mm-hmm. the, the crowd was very kind of uh, over the top in terms of tiny little things. Um, <laughs> like a, like a, kind of running the ball five yards without being challenged and laying it off got a huge yeah. cheer but it was good uh, it was good for us to win as well I thought it was great got a bit hairy in the second half it did I think we'll get battered by Japan but it was good while it lasted so yeah <laughs> awesome okay Nick so as well as watching football out in Canada what else do you do because you've written a few things for our website you did a Kung Fury review which mm-hmm. is awesome both the film and the review you've also reviewed a couple of other things for us like we are many and inducted black adder finally into our 100 greatest tv episodes yeah i thought that definitely had to be done <laughs> it, it had to be there eventually so congratulations for finally getting that into uh, into our series but what else do you do you do where can people find you if they want to read other other things that you've done well i started writing uh, my own blog a couple of years ago but it was very sporadic and eventually i uh, started doing it more regularly at the back end of last year uh, so now i try to get a couple of pieces out at least uh, a few times a week and the website is just a standard wordpress so it's iltfilm.wordpress.com and the blog is called in layman's terms which is a uh, what i thought was a quite clever uh, play on my name <laughs> um, but, uh, so I'm not really sure what people think of that but I thought I'd give it a go so yeah that's that's where to find me at the moment and I'm hoping to expand it eventually and kind of make uh, you know some more podcasts and things like that independently but at the moment it's just the blog so feel free to check that out uh, if you like excellent okay so um, what we're actually going to talk about today though is a micro budget sort of sci-fi-ish thriller type thing is that mm. It's a difficult film to pin down, but we'll, we will come on to that. It's a film called Through the Lens. It's about a guy called Anthony. It's kind of a weird Black Mirror-esque style story to it, because it's all about the internet which is restricted, and hackers who are hunted and are persecuted by a company called the IPA, the Internet Protection Agency. So what what's your immediate opinion of the film, Nick? Well... I, again, like like you suggested, I, I like the the concept of it. Uh, I think it's a concept that's been looked at before. Um, if you go back to the whole, you know, issue of privacy 
freedom, freedom of speech, you know, there's kind of V for Vendetta and, and like you say, Black Mirror and that kind of, it's, it's got that very kind of carrying over British feel to it, uh, similar to those projects. Um, I think the concept was far too big a scale for the budget that the guys had doing it. Um, it was only made by a couple of guys, uh, Oscar Swift and uh, Ben Abbott. And I think they only spent 14K on it. And there's a good interview with them uh, on Cambridge local radio where they talked about, you know, the actors were sleeping on the floor. There's only a couple of them doing <laughs> it. They edited everything. They shot everything. Uh, the post-production went on, you know, for a, a good, I think over a year or something like that. And it shows, you know, yeah. uh, on camera and, it all felt a little bit kind of forced uh, throughout. I think a lot of it was quite expositional, like dialogue wise. Yeah. I, I can definitely see where they were coming from. And I liked some of it. I thought it had some nice foreshadowing and setups, things like that. And the kind of stuff going on in the, you know, in, in the night mm -hmm. such scenes were quite good. Anything in the day kind of looked like its budget. It was severely limited by that sort of yes. <laughs> £14,000 that they, they had to make the film on. But, you know, like a lot of these lower budget films, they all do feel like that. And I always, I always want to forgive them. I always yeah, want to look exactly, past yeah. the limitations that they can't help, you know. Exactly, to, make a, yeah. to make a feature film, a 90-minute or 100-minute film for, for £14,000 with, a you know, a decent cast is... Well, a decent cast for, like... You know, there's people in it who I've seen in other things, for example. It's yeah, I'm, yeah, precisely. So. I mean, I think it's credit to them. They stuck it out. They got it made. You know, they wrote it, shot it, edited it, and actually got it distributed in North America, which is it's rare, you know. For I mean, like he, I, I saw an interview with him, and he said that most of these films just get lost in editing. And I know a couple of people who've done uh, films of this kind of size and budget as well. And it is difficult to get it all the way out there and finish. So I, I like to give, like you say, the benefit of the doubt. And I think it was his first film. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I, yeah, I so said the concept was good. I think after a while, it kind of lost its engagement kind of around two thirds of the way in. So it kind of just became like a, a chase film, uh, essentially, yes, at the end, yeah. rather than kind of the, the kind of cat and mouse build up that it did have. The twist was pretty predictable with the character Jane and her involvement. But it, it felt good, you know, uh, to an extent. The soundtrack was okay. And it, like I said, it did have that really distinct British feel, which I, I'm sure you feel the same way. It's always nice when you see a low-budget film, uh, obviously shot on a council estate and in very few locations where it costs no money mm -hmm. or, or mm -hmm. no one else will bug you while you're <laughs> shooting it. Because it's supposed to be in London, obviously, but there's yeah. no establishing shots. And it's clear, I think there might be one establishing shot from the river and most of it's obviously shot in Cambridge where uh, I think the guys are from so yeah there's an awful lot of leafy green around for it to be yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay so you, I mean you've touched on the character Jane and I did mention Anthony in the uh, the opening uh, sentence but around the characters what I, I, I struggle to really connect with any of them I did like the um the main character Anthony, but I don't think it was so much for his character because, as you say, he just spouts a lot of expositional dialogue throughout the film. I think it's more because I like the actor behind him. I thought he was he was played pretty well. Yeah, uh, I think he was Lewis Lewis Sanderson. Yeah, yeah. I haven't. I I don't think I've seen him in anything else. Uh, no. Have you are you aware of him before this? No, that's the first time I've seen him. Um, I've seen another guy in the film, Josh Ockenden. Mm who played his underground hacker friend. Oh, uh, yes, Reddit. yeah. Yeah, I've seen, uh, I've seen him in a couple of things. But um, as far as Lewis goes, that was his first performance I've seen. I, I'm surprised he's 
not got a longer IMDb credits list. If I'm yeah, honest. I mean, I think if this is, I think if this is getting distributed, I think he'll do okay out of it. I actually enjoyed. Um, I think it was Charlie McDougal, his friend. You know, the, the yes. Jack called Joe. I thought he was pretty limited, but he amused me quite a lot throughout. I like the character uh, <laughs> just because he was like your classic kind of mate who ends up, you know, thinking, well, what the hell is this about? But ends up going <laughs> along with you. So, and I did like, the, there was one little moment where, um, where they're being tracked in the apartment and they switch clothing. Yes. And he comes out and just give, gives the dude watching him the finger. It was, uh, yeah. <laughs> that was it, it, it did raise a smile. So, I mean, there were little moments like that that I did really like. Uh, but I think yeah. he got kind of lost in amongst uh, the kind of pretty bogged down concept uh, and thematic you know and all the subject matter and everything was pretty big and it's hard to convey that in such a narrow story that could have been like a character piece per se but like you say because mm-hmm. a lot of it was all expositional you didn't really get any any overwhelming sense of one thing being the main aspect of the film no I mean, you think of the title, which is through the lens, which is mm. because there's agents in the film who have contact lenses, which act as like cameras. Yeah. And you, you kind of, you know, and everything's shot through. You, you get lots of scenes which are, or not scenes as, as much, but lots of shots through like CCTV, particularly in the opening few, mm. uh, few scenes. You know, there isn't much made of that throughout the film. No, it's kind of. I think it was done like purely as an artistic thing, mm-hmm. because like you say, it wasn't really developed, but. I, again, like little things like that all could have been so much nicer and more uh, kind of felt more fulfilled if it had a larger budget. So it, it's like they were almost playing with a lot of experiments uh, mm-hmm. and then putting them into a small budget feature. And I think I think it's credit to them, that, like I said, that they got it finished and that all of those things are in there. But the whole thing just kind of felt incomplete from a story point of view, especially the last half an hour or so, because uh, there, there doesn't seem to be anyone around. Uh, it's London. I know they. I know they mm. get into the countryside and the IPA as well. The um, the rather unfortunately titled IPA for what it usually stands <laughs> for. But they they seem to be a very small understaffed operation for something that's taking care of like probably the biggest thing that the government could be doing uh, in mm. terms of watching over the population. It seems to have like three people working for them. Yeah, uh, in, I don't know so, whether that's like intentional. Um commentary on like bureaucracy or anything because you've got the one guy who you know the in the you're, you're introduced to anthony as he's looking for a job he's given yeah. a job within the ipa yeah and then you sort of learn about his history and what happened to his family and so on and how he's entangled in the the whole ipa thing yeah um, you know the, the opening thing is he's he's sort of shoved in there as an underpaid guy sent from the job center to help the other guy with some computer programming yeah and it's yeah, I think maybe that's a commentary on that. Also, the fact I think they mention it about how he's um, a, a graduate, a university graduate, and he had to leave university due to a bereavement. Yeah. But actually, he's stuck in this flat. He couldn't really get a job. There's a lot of problems with him. So I don't know whether that was intentional. Or, yeah, or I mean, if, I, I like if it was trying to say something. Yeah, if it was trying yeah. to say something, it was kind of left a bit too open. And as you say. It needed streamlining. A lot of yeah. that needed streamlining. A lot of it kind of went undefined, which is fine, uh, you know, in some artistic way. But I think if it's your first feature, you need to tighten it up just a little bit. Uh, I, yeah, I think that could be seen as foreshadowing the fact that it was a bereavement. And of course, that meant it turned out to be uh, his parents, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that then mm-hmm. later on become deeper in the conspiracy. And I, I, I suppose I, the thing of the IPA, it could be seen as the, the they're understaffed and everything, potentially 
it's a commentary on the fact that they need it is a classic British thing, you know. <laughs> they're they're yeah. not really doing the you know, they're not like an invincible government agency. They have problems, uh, you know, they're under budgeted. Uh it's pretty much a classic commentary on the government of today. So <laughs> Uh, you know, it's difficult for them to do their job because I thought if it was really an efficient company, A, how on earth would this guy have been hired, first of all? And secondly, they say they've been looking for these hackers and they have the most kind of efficient facial recognition software in the world. Yet they still have not found this kind of yeah. hacker base, which seems to be just be living <laughs> in an industrial estate. So Yeah, it's ridiculous, really. <laughs> yeah, you think they would have found them by now. And they, they need this whole plot to happen for them to do it. But But I mean, all of this stuff was like, it's... It was kind of nitpicking, but it was. It, I don't like to nitpick to an extent, especially like when it's a guy you want to mm. get the benefit of the doubt to. But it was just kind of forced on you to nitpick. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of felt as well. Just as we're in the, as we're nitpicking, the plot was a little bit too. You know, it's a little bit convoluted, but also quite slow. So yeah. Um, yeah. things happen at a snail's pace and. Even when things are like lots of things seem to be happening all the time, but then then they're always very inconsequential. So you know uh, the main woman's family just mm. appear in the background, and you think, okay, so something's going to happen with them. Are they going to be used to blackmail her, or what's happening here? And then it's just like, well, nothing really. It doesn't develop the character. It just sort of pads out scenes. Nothing was really developed from even she. You thought they would at least have conflict between her and her husband. Because her husband looked like the kind of guy, you know, who just kind of goes along with it. But wouldn't yeah. wouldn't have been better. To, they might as well not be there, uh, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like you say, they don't really add anything. Um, and the whole thing became eventually just scenes of Anthony on the run. Uh, and then them turning up, shooting up a place. And by then he's gone. Yeah. Uh, so And then the, the big boss man calling her. And that was essentially the last 45 minutes of the film with no kind of added depth to, to any of the characters. Uh, not even the boss man could have been fleshed out a little bit more because uh, those kind of characters are always interesting, you know, as mm -hmm. to what their motivation is. Is he, is he just doing his duty? Is he being uh, paid by someone else, a higher power? Uh, you know, and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, it, it was. I thought it was interesting. There was a couple of scenes like when he turned up at her house, uh, if not fairly predictable. Was it's always quite nice to see direct interaction between characters who are having a bit of conflict. So. But yeah, overall, I agree. The kind of thing, it just drifted a little too slowly for the concept. Yeah, but I quite like the fact they treated it very seriously. You know, they had this idea. It was a very ambitious idea to, to fit into a film of this sort of limited scale. But yeah, you know, it, there were problems with it. It's not a perfect film, but, you know, well done, I think. Yeah. Without trying I mean, to sound too patronising. Oh, no, exactly, yeah. Because yeah. I know for a fact that if, if, uh, if I was doing the same thing, and I know guys who've worked in the... Uh, in the kind of micro budget uh, film industry out here and it's a bloody hard bit of work so you know like you have to you have to do a lot of it on your own you have no help uh, no one you know when you call distributors and festivals they all just kind of look at you and go yeah whatever mate uh, better luck next time you know um, it's a very patronizing business from the top down uh, and from the outside in I suppose as well uh, so you really have to stick to your guns so I give them credit for that and I think for such a small budget film, I think they did well to get it finished. And I, I, they mentioned in an interview that they're looking to write another film that's going to be set in, uh, I think he said Denmark or Norway, and it's going to be half in Danish, half in English, and there's going to be a lead from Scandinavia, and they want to create a bridge between the Scandinavian and British uh, indie film industry and things like that. So I was like, okay, you know, these guys obviously are thinking pretty big in terms of concept and scale, so good luck to them.
Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, then Nick, I think we will wrap it up there. So thank you very much for uh, for joining us for this review, and we'll have to get you back on for something else again at some point in the future. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure to uh, to speak with you for the first time, and uh, <laughs> I hope I hope in the future I can definitely be back on uh, to talk about more things with you. Definitely, yeah. Uh, this week, I dropped a, a revelation onto Owen, and Callum's only found out this revelation this <laughs> evening. I had never seen The Terminator before this week. I was shocked. There's actually, thinking about it, quite a lot of like big films that you probably expect me to have seen that I haven't watched. I haven't seen any of The Terminator films before this week, so I've still only seen the first one now. I haven't seen, any, I haven't seen Naked Gun, I haven't seen any Lethal Weapons, uh, I don't think I've seen Top Gun all the way through. Uh, I've not seen Beverly Hills Cop. See, this, the... list, this, this list is actually matching a lot of mine at the moment as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I seen Term- really... I've seen the Terminators and I've seen Top Gun, but most of us of us have just currently have not seen, unfortunately. So, I've not seen Top Top Gun all the way through, but I have seen Hot Shots, Hot Shots Part One and Part Two. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, why? I, anyway, yeah, but Terminator is the, the weirdest one there because we were talking about doing a fan commentary for a film, you, me and well, Matt. it wasn't so much a fan commentary. We were talking about doing a, a live commentary. Me and, me and James, when, when James was James, our friend and part of it, was, we're talking about that as an idea, as a, as a special podcast, us getting together and doing a, a live commentary of a film. And the two uh, films we were, do, we were considering were... Predator and Terminator. I've seen Predator. But you didn't mention <laughs> you hadn't seen Terminator. Well, you could have. Pre- maybe maybe could... that's why he didn't mention. Maybe that was the idea. Like that he'd go, that he'd try and watch it first time through, whilst you two just babble on and ruin it for him. Maybe I, maybe I just didn't want to see him uncool in front of the film nerds. <laughs> we intimidated yeah. you. Yeah. Oh. Also, um, I like to use when you're referring to James of was our friend. It was now or something. He's he's left us, um, and yeah, we don't speak about him anymore, really. He he is coming back though for one episode in the next three months. Can't, that's that's enough. Can't get away. You can't get away. Like, yeah, like like Christmas then, basically. Yeah, a little bit. Um, he was he's also coming to our failed critics meet. We got in London. Yes. Because there was no way he he was going to be able to miss that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you, you, you offered him free. You offered him free beer, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I will buy him a drink. Yeah, a drink. I, I won't. I'll give him um, a voucher, and he can use it at his leisure. <laughs> anyway, sorry, yeah, you were but, so, Terminator. <laughs> yes, I've I've seen the Terminator now, um, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator. Yeah, it was it was good. Um, it wasn't. I don't. Right. It wasn't. As, it wasn't as great as what I think everyone else makes it out to be. Maybe it's because everyone's hyping it up so much, and I've heard all this hype about it, and I've watched it, and it is just a, a quite. The plot is quite predictable, really, um, because there's not much. I understand in later Terminator films, there's a lot of time traveling stuff and jumping through time, different characters coming back. And this is just basically. Terminator comes back to kill someone, someone comes back to try and stop him, and then he's just relentlessly trying to stop them, and they keep getting away, and it's quite, it pans out quite predictably. 
Especially if you know there's going to be a Terminator 2 as well. It's... Oh, oh, oh. Well... <laughs> the future existence of sequels ruined the plot to the first movie. Oh. <laughs> well, just yeah, found... the sequels you haven't seen, Steve. Yeah, but I just found... I just found... I just found it quite a predictable. You kind of knew the end game of it. Um... um... But it was good. It was exciting. You know, it was good action. It was it was fun. It didn't take itself too seriously. Um, the acting was was fine. Um, it wasn't immense by any means, but it was fine. Um, I can see why most people like it so much. Um, I certainly will be watching uh, the other Terminator films. Hopefully, well. all in time for for Terminator Genesis. You might Genesis. stop after two. You might stop after two. I'm just gonna. There's there's things around like Terminator three and Terminator four, which mean they're gonna be wiped out of canon anyway. You, uh, you should to. you should probably watch the third Terminator though, so you can get it, so you can understand what a twelve A Terminator looks like before going into. So ter- Terminator three is is that the Christian Bale one or is that no? That's one? Terminator Salvation, which is the fourth one. Right. Okay. Which has an on uh, a CGI Arnold Schwarzenegger in it uh, for like yeah. half a second. He well, he's he's until he gets his skin burnt off. Yeah, but See, that now also doesn't make sense. It's salvation. But, yeah, <laughs> it, it makes me. It, I want. It, I liked it enough to want to watch Terminator Two, but I don't. I don't get all the massive hype around it. If I'm honest. I think it's that's the thing of uh, like of of big films, like like big landmark films that if you haven't seen them at like the young age out there, they're always built up as these huge massive milestone things. Which means by the time you see them, you'll pretty much always end up underwhelmed in some way. Mm. Like uh, like for example, like one of the things is um, about a year and a half ago, I finally saw Citizen Kane like for the first time in a film studies class. You know, like after all those years <laughs> of oh, this is the greatest film I've made kind of thing. And I watched it, I was just kind of really bored and didn't enjoy it oh. uh, I, I just won't watch it out of principle <laughs> i don't know what principle but i just won't watch it <laughs> i've seen it twice and i liked it as a cane i also read like terminator is one of my favorite films and i used to f- sort of much prefer terminator 2 but earlier this year i watched them all all four films together like over the course of a week or two and i've kind of changed opinion now the first one is definitely the best in every sort of regard, really. It's just the, the most like a horror film. I think there are little things in I watched it again in the cinema this week, coincidentally. I think that's how we found out you hadn't uh, seen it before, wasn't it? When I said I, I'm going to see Terminator. Yeah. But, um, I saw it in the cinema again this week. And it's just like there are little things that are, are sewn through the plot that are, that are really well done. Like the way that sort of Arnie's skin as the Terminator, because he's a cyborg, isn't he? And he's got living tissue, living organic tissue surrounding his <coughs> metal frame. And that gradually throughout the film just begins to decay. And, you know, I think that's done really well. I appreciated that this time a bit more than, than previously. I think it also has a lot of really good performances in it. But... But maybe not Arnie. I don't think it's a good acting performance. It's a good movie performance, but um, yeah, I feel like it works though. Because of course, the whole point of Terminator is this stiff emotion. Like Robot isn't really good at acting or doing anything, so that kind of like fits for Arnie. Like he has to be a yeah, presence instead of an acting. So that's why that's why it's probably one of his best roles. 
Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's one of the best roles, one of his most iconic, and it's for a reason, because he's good at doing that. But I, <laughs> I'm not sure it's one of those you could say was an acting, sort of an example of quality acting. But, um, yeah, no, well, I'm kind of glad you liked it then, Steve. But, yeah, I think it will also benefit from rewatches. So the more times you watch it, you'll you'll start to like it more, I think. Yeah. Okay, and Callum, what have you seen this week? I'm just waiting for Linda Hamilton to get cast in Game of Thrones at some point, so then all Sarah Connors will have been in Game of Thrones at some point. <laughs> oh, God. If it says if Terminator Mega Drive is the death of Amelia Clark's filming career, film career, then I'm going to be pissed as hell. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, right. Um, I just watched Hard Ticket to Hawaii uh, before coming on here, because I'm doing a thing for this summer where I'm trying to go through a whole bunch of older films and stuff that I've missed, and Today, I decided to take a brief detour into 1980s B-movies, because um, an episode of At Midnight from a couple of weeks back showed a clip from this movie, which involved a man being killed by a frisbee with razor blades there. And I looked at it, I was like, yep, that's my kind of dumb, and then proceeded to acquire this movie. Um, so it's a film by Andy Sedaris from 1987, part of his Triple B series of movies, um, I have absolutely no, no idea what any of this means here. Um, <laughs> Those of you more in tune with your 1980s B-movies, um, feel free to bask in that knowledge, I guess. Um, okay, so the film itself um, follows um, a, a two, two women who live on a uh, beach in Hawaii, one of which is a spy, one of which is a civilian in, I believe, the Witness Protection Program for some reason. And they stumble upon a drug business, I think, um, and I accidentally make off of a shipment of diamonds, which puts them in the target of some very bad people, and they have to call in two lunkheads um, who work as spies in order to help them get out of their jam. And then also, at some point, and there's also a giant monster snake running around the place. It, 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 it's not relevant to the plot, <laughs> and it doesn't really, like, it doesn't really power it. it's just, there's just a giant monster snake there for zombies. But, but, but movie logic, time, that's what that is. But, but every time it's on screen, will always be accompanied with a da 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 Like, thank you. Even if it's just like one shot in a montage, it's a why set to happy music. Like, whatever things always just do 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 do. And we're like back to smooth jazz. Um, yeah, it's nonsense. It's like it's 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 a ridic- it's a ridiculous fucking B movie. Um, like it's really cheap. The acting is terrible. Uh, the dialogue is horrendous. Like the first part, like the first two lines of the movie, involve a man and a woman, um, like you know, on a yacht out at sea. Uh, woman's just come out of sea and goes, "Come on, Ralphie, why don't you get in? The water, the water, the great." Uh, nah, I've got other things I've been doing. My body temperature, like, like that, that kind of awful dumbness. There's, <laughs> um, ter- there's a terrible, terrible action sequences. Um, Three of the most poorly staged fight scenes I've seen it in ever. Um, and at one point, the giant monster snake rises out of a toilet um, <laughs> whilst like whilst light, flashing lights and smog goes around everywhere. Um, so that's fun, I guess. I, I <laughs> can't believe I've never heard of it. It seems like exactly the sort of film I w- would love. I think it was it was it was named by paste by paste as the greatest B movie ever in twenty. 20- 14 for whatever that's worth um it's yeah it's it's utterly ridiculous also the amazing thing about the snake is that um it never is that despite being this giant monster snake that just kind of keeps coming back to having no relevance to the plot 
even when it does attack people, it doesn't actually, like, ever attack them. Like, it's not even a real snake. It's a prosthetic, like, a terrible, terrible prosthetic. And at no point does it ever actually contact anybody. So instead of, like, biting people to death, it's more like it just terrifies them to death. <laughs> which, is, which is hilarious to me. But, and also, um, the end credits to the movie are literally just every single one of these shirtless and topless sequences, uh, shots of the movie, one after the other, um, Inter- like intercut with title cards whilst the awful uh like whilst an absolutely dreadful um self t- self-written theme song plays of the end credits which is the single most 80s b movie and enca- like encapsulated image i've ever seen in my entire life like <laughs> like that that's that is literally just everything i've ever heard 80s b movies to be it, it it's nonsense and like it's nonsense it's sexist vaguely tran- like pretty transphobic points and that there but it's also just fucking stupid and ridiculous and i had fun yeah it's okay to be stupid if it's fun it's fine yeah again i think sometimes it it seems to cross line a bit to a bit too much into being the kind of we're trying to make a bad movie kind of thing like 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 because of course best bad movies are ones where people are genuinely trying to make a good movie and it's just fallen to pieces um, and there are times where it does cross over into just being like, just say we're trying to make a bad, bad movie. But um, other times it's just, but most of it, but then um, our hero blows up a roller skating drive by with a rocket launcher. And then also blows up a blow up doll the roller skater was with as well. And yeah, that's, that's my kind of movie. It's stupid. And I had fun. And again, a giant mutant snake rises up out of a toilet at one point. <laughs> I will always check a toilet in case there's a snake in it. Or spiders, that's the other thing. Just, you know, bit of personal TMI. Oh, I know, no, that's, that's, that, that's smart thinking there. Well, maybe not snake, the, the spiders bit. Well, if you're in Australia, it makes sense. In England, yeah. maybe not so much. I think it's because when I was younger, there must have been some TV show where it happened. Someone sat on a toilet and was bitten by a spider. And then it's just like, yeah, I'll just have a quick look every time. <laughs> yep. Not random toilets. I mean, just before I'm going. To... Yeah, let, let, can, can we move on now, please, Steve? Yeah. I don't want to so, stay yes, on. Yes, yes. Let's, let's move on uh, <laughs> swiftly. You must all do that, though. I'm not the only one, surely. Stop talking about toilets, <laughs> Owen. All right. You're just making out I'm a bit weird. I think that's normal. Steve, what are we doing now? Uh, we're, I'm, I'm trying to recover from Owen talking about checking his toilet for monsters. <laughs> you look under the bed before you go to sleep. Uh, no. But I've got dogs, you see. They would alert me if there was something under the bed. Uh, what if the thing under the bed's got it's to logic, your dogs? you see. What, yeah. if the, what if the thing under the bed got to your dogs first? Yeah, I'll probably check under the beds. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> As always happens in the last part of the podcast, it's time to uh, review some of the new releases from the last week or so. And the going to start us off with a review of Everly. Yes, Everly, the new film from director Joe Lynch. Who, quickly before we go on here, Matt, is a guy who I always feel like should be better known in genre circles than he actually is. Um, like specifically because he first came on radars in 2009 with Wrong Turn 2. Um, have, have you seen first Wrong Turn? Yeah, and the second one. Yeah, yeah. First one's awful, isn't it? <laughs> it's quite fun. In a, it's bad but funny, yeah. sort of bad. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but the second second one, I remember being uh, like actually pretty great, actually. 
like 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 the gores were better it was actually you know, like properly genuinely funny it had a good sense of style like i remember really liking it um at the time i saw it but you sighed i'm assuming you are about to disagree with me here on that one uh, I can't really remember much about it. They were just shown. They showed. They put quite a lot of them on the horror channel one evening. And oh, okay, watched, and you just watched yeah. them back and forth, like. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they were all blended into yeah. one film. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, no, no. The sec- like second one's genuinely great. Um, at least I remember it being anyway. Um, he should have broken big like in 2012 with Knights of Bad Aston. Um, unfortunately, the film was stolen from him by. Producers who bankrupted the studio, recut against his will, kept in release window purgatory for years and years and years, and then finally dumped in cinemas in the beginning of January 2014 with absolutely no fanfare and left to die. And it was also disappointing. Although there were signs of promise there, but we'll probably cut down because, again, it was butchered to hell and back. Um, so like, I, I've always felt like if Lynch had a film that wasn't in straight-to-video horror, which, when they're good, never actually do, do get the um, reputation they deserve, and, um, like, and weren't a victim of executive meddling, but he can make a genuinely great movie. And he has, here, with Everly. Um, so Everly is an action movie, um, stars Sam Hayek as Everly, who four years prior to the start of the film was kidnapped by a Yakuza boss um, and sold to become his personal sex slave. Uh, they're, they're locked in her apartment, forced into sex slavery for her life, away from her mother and, and daughter. Um, a few shortly before the film starts, um, she's managed to get into contact with a police informant who she is now working with to bring down the Yakuza. But at the beginning of the film, uh, the boss has found out about Everly's betrayal and he is not happy at all. He's killed the inspector, uh, he's killed the detective, um, sent a gang of people to punish her and then kill her, and has now put a bounty on her head for her death should she survive. She survives the initial attack and now she essentially has to. And trapped in the apartment with nowhere else to go because, like, physically trapped in the apartment, she essentially has to hold off a whole bunch of would-be attackers until her mother and daughter are able to get to her so she can give them a rucksack full of money to get it out of the country. And that's the film. Like, for not, that, that's your premise for 92 minutes, like, the raid in reverse, essentially. Um, and I, again, I really, really like it. Um, it's a very, because, like, again, it's a, constrained premise but it's one that um lynch and the film's screenwriter yo hannon get like ring every last drop out of um like this is a film that careens wildly between tones uh one minute being like you know big violent action set pieces next bit being quiet drama the next being bloody slapstick the next being tense like really tense almost horror kind of aspects here sometimes and then other times pitch pitch black humor um in ways that remind me a lot of matthew vaughan but like if Matthew Vaughan like you know like let go of all his inhibitions and just went completely wild, uh, that's gonna turn that's gonna turn off a lot of people like a, a few people I imagine out there because again uh, like some of the film's funniest moments and darkest moments will come literally seconds within each other without stopping for breath. Uh, but I really dug it. Um, also, this is a violent ass film as well. Like like this is violence ass violence. Violent with a capital V, bloody with a capital B. Like even for like. Admittedly, of course, action movies nowadays are always kind of like lacking on the violence because we're trying to push them down to 12A for those, you know, kiddie bucks reasons. But like mm. this, this is a proper 18 rated, like violent as shit movie. Like, you know, the blood flows like wine, body parts go flying. Um, and specific as well, um, there's a lot of the lingering on the aftermath as well because of the naturally constrained premise of, you know, like being stuck in this one apartment where everything has to take place. There's a lot of emphasis on where the bodies end up lying and the blood that's caused from there. And sometimes that involves, that ends up um, invoking the geography, 
of the next fight, for example, like body slang on the floor might affect the next fight, or um, in one instance being used for a legitimate, legitimately, legitimately tense sequence where Everly's trying to hide the bodies so that you know her mother and daughter won't have to find out about, like, you know, won't have to be exposed to the absolute brutality she's having to enforce upon her everywhere. Um, it's a nice, it's a nice change. It's a nice difference compared to the usual kind of things in action moves where we just kind of want to get away from the aftermath as quickly as possible. Um, and also another thing that makes us different as well is Everly herself here as well, who is, in contrast to the usual stoic, bad, stoic, gruff badasses who tip, who get to front action movies, like you know, when we put women in front of action movies in those very rare occasions here, is like a woman. Like she's actually a fully rounded character. Like, yeah, there are moments where she's tough and you know violent and stuff in that air, but then not as common as, you, as they need to be because she's basically a woman running on survival instinct she's not a crack shot like she's capable of guns but she's not a crack shot she's not invincible she like the, the film even begins with her sustaining a gunshot wound as well that comes into play later on in the film uh, there it's the way and but in the way that she feels more human instead of just like an emotionless robot who goes around shooting people though like I'm crack, cracking out one line and stuff there. Like she feels like an actual person that there. And part of that's due to the script and as well, part of that is due to Sama Hayek absolutely killing like the role there. She does an outstanding work here. Um, because again, in a lesser role, um, all these different changes, because they come like with the um, tonal changes, like they can just come one after another, would feel kind of just awkward, like a whole mesh of bits of character traits shoved together at a real center but she's able to locate that center and always let, essentially lets the viewer in on that kind of fear that's driving everly throughout because again she's not used to being in situations where she has to shoot her way out of things and that there and she's not the most capable badass so every time she's in something she is out of her depth and hayek clever is able to let you in without having it overwhelm the entire character yeah like turning into an hysterical crying woman the entire time for example um, again, she feels she feels human. She feels like an actual full-on character, and Hayek imbues that completely. Um, it, like she's so good in it, but it actually made me physically angry that she's wasted the last half decade of her of her acting career on Happy Madison roles. Um, like like she's clearly way better than that. Then she does phenomenal work here, and also um, not that it's like a huge um, plus point in itself. Like uh, in terms of like just yeah, he gets by for diversity here. But it is nice to see, um, like a non-white, non-twenty-something, like a uh, like woman uh, of color in in a role like this, isn't it? Like it's it's nice mm -hmm. to see that happen for a change instead of just, you know, instead more. Of, uh... Yeah, instead instead of I, like, you know, yeah. I mean, you couldn't. You, I mean, you couldn't get a guy to do this particular role here, my bad. But like, it's typically like it would be the kind of guy or a supermodel kind of thing. After mm. all, this is why Jai Courtney still has a career. <laughs> Anyways, um... well, well, we'll see after Terminator. With the... uh, he's, he's he's not going to make that movie better, Owen. Yeah, so yeah, I really like Everly. There are one or two things that stop it from being, there are one or two little niggles that stop it from being one of the very best genre pictures released so far this decade, I'd say, though. Um, first off is that it, do, it makes a mistake of. What always happens when you have female leads or female characters in you know darker action movies of hanging the threat of rape over um, everything. Uh, like the film begins with the sounds, like not images, the film never shows it, but the sounds of Everly being raped prior to the start of the film. Um, I get why everybody might think that's necessary, but you don't need to actually showcase the act in any way, shape or form for the audience to understand that rape is always a risk and on the table here like when you have female characters i mean fury road especially just showed that that is possible there 
like uh, like at no point in Fury Road do they mention the word rape or threaten any of the characters rape, but you know it happens to them. Like again, it just, so again, you don't need to do that. It's a shame that it happened here. Um, there's also a torture scene at about the halfway to two thirds mark that goes on just a bit too long, takes a bit too much, um, seems to take a bit too much pleasure in t- tightening the screws for Everly and the audience, and has a payoff that is almost but not quite worth like the amount of time spent on the sequence beforehand. Like it tips over into a bit too much into being just plain nasty instead of the kind of really dark gory from the rest of the film is. Um, and there's also a post-finale beat, not the actual finale itself, although that will wrangle a lot of people who are, the, who are of the school of, why don't you just shoot them, kind of deal. But, uh, like, the post, that, that was fine for me, but the post-finale bit, um, sequence is a bit too openly manipulative and doesn't work for me. But other than that, I had, but like, those are minor, minor niggles of a wise. I, minor niggles? Niggles, Riggles, one of them, one of, Niggles, one of those yeah. words. Yeah, uh, like for the film for me, otherwise I had a lot of fun with this one. Like it's it's nice, like Summer Hayek kills the role, Joe Lynch's direction is wonderfully assured, stylish, pacey, and he's he's a masterful, he's a masterful control of the tone at, whole, at all times as well, which is great. And it's a ridiculous, and it's just a, this really fun, trashy, violent B-movie essentially back there. Um, and it's a lot of fun and deserves way more attention than it's getting. Or at least more deserved attention than it's getting, because for some reason a lot of people just hate this movie with a passion, which I guess is what usually happens when you get violent B movies, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's it's in it's in some cinemas right now, but I also believe it's actually available to um, on demand at places as well, so you should definitely check it out. Okay, uh, on to the next movie we're reviewing, which is uh, Knock Knock, starring Keanu Reeves and, and sorry, directed but, by Eli Roth. Yes. Mm. Um, Callum's got a, a really good review of this up on our website failedcritics.com um, both me and Callum have seen this um, I think basically we both liked it to an extent didn't we from reading your review anyway I can see that you you, 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 got, some, you got some kind of enjoyment from it even if it made you feel a little bit yeah again it right I'll, I'll explain a lot why this movie is utterly reprehensible and pure garbage in a minute here. But again, I kind of sort of like it, but only in the sense of it's way too entertaining. But again, not for reasons it's meant to be entertaining. More in the sense of I felt like I was watching a Mystery Science Theater 3000 um, episode <laughs> unfolding right in front of my eyes, like uh, like as it was happening. Like it, it's a car wreck. Uh, but I'll explain to you in a minute. But I mean, because I'm assuming Steve, you want to do the plot synopsis this time up there. But um, like I'll explain well, in a minute I mean, why. The, 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 the basic plot synopsis for anyone who's not seen the trailer is: um, to Keanu Reeves is a dad and a husband. His family go away. He's at a house on his own. Two girls knock on the door like, "Oh, we need some help. We're lost." He takes them in, bees all nice. They end up having sex with him, and then they end up going a bit mental. I don't think you can really describe the plot much better than that, can you? <laughs> Do they kill his yeah. dog? Does he have a dog? Does the dog die? No, he the dog has, goes off on holiday with yes, family. He has he has a dog. Nothing oh. bad happens to it. Okay, good. Because um, after John Wick, I mean... but They're going to make a sequel to John Wick, though, so... Is he coming back for that? What, the dog? Uh, I believe he is. Yeah, why, so, why? okay, that's... Well, you know, sometimes they get like the new transporter film that hasn't got Statham in it. And stuff yeah, but like this that. one, like, but this one is actually like, but the first John Wick was also actually properly shepherded into existence by Keanu Reeves as well. So, yeah, like he was the guy who got the two directors to come direct for it for him. So, 
One of, one of my biggest problems with Knock Knock was Keanu Reeves. Because oh, Manny, God, yeah. Manny can't act. <laughs> no, no, he can act, but here he seemed to go out of his way to deliver or, the exact or, opposite quality of his John Wick performance. Or, or he can act, but he chooses not to quite often these days. <laughs> yeah. God, um, he is he's awful. He is absolutely awful in this, I and he deserves thought, every Razzie that will be thrown his way. Like, I just sort of was watching and thinking, really? You're like... <laughs> This, like, in that kind of film, for someone acting the quality he is acting, you'd expect it to be a complete unknown actor on a par with the two female leads who, who was just chucked in there. This is just a generic horror slasher film directed by Eli Ross. So here's some unknown actor who's a good-looking man um, who's got nothing more about him than being a good-looking man in terms of acting. But no, it's Keanu Reeves who's done films like The Matrix and John Wick and other yeah. things where he's meant to be a good actor. He was he was probably worse. He was probably more wooden than when he played um, the emotionless robot in the... What's it called? Yeah, Daisy. Yeah. 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 I, I think know. the worst thing I've ever seen him in is Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> the Francis Ford Coppola one. That, he's playing Jonathan Harker with an English accent, but I swear he's on the verge of saying dude or man at the end of every single... I mean, watching, watching him in this just made me not wanting to make Bill and Ted 3. <laughs> he is awful. Like, he is just... There are so many times in this movie where he basically just causes spontaneous laughter from just the worst, worst line delivery. It's, it's literally the definition of phoning it in. Yeah. But multiple people by audience actually did laugh out loud at his like at his acting in this movie multiple times. It was oh god. Anyways, um, sorry. so was he just? Do you think he was miscast as as that character? Or was it just one of those cases where it's a bad? I don't think he's necessarily. Well, I don't. Know, I've never seen him play like that kind of. I think the worst for me when was before the the two the two girls went mental, and he was just trying to be like the dad. And he was really rubbish at that. Like, he couldn't yeah. pull that off at all. Chocolate mm. with sprinkles! Yeah. So that, <laughs> but yeah. Basic, basically, Callum gave a more convincing delivery of that line. <laughs> with a more convincing accent. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah, just... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. God, he's, yeah, he's awful in this. Anyway, sorry. Right, I'm burying the lead here, though. Um, right, so yeah. So here's the thing. Here's why Knock Knock is actually incredibly reprehensible. Um, so I think it's trying to, and instantly here um, trigger warnings for like for rape here. I feel like I need to mention that, and also spoiler warnings for the 1971 version of Straw Dogs. So skip ahead like maybe five or so minutes if those uh, uh, if those bother you in any way. So basically, um, like, skip ahead five minutes if you've not seen the 1970s version of Straw Dogs and you might want to or you don't want to listen to Cam talk about rape. Right, yeah. yeah. But... I'll, I'll, if you're listening on Acast, you can literally at this point skip ahead because um, oh, there'll yeah. be a little logo so you can go straight to the, the next review of Minions if you like. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think this is trying to run on the Straw Dogs principle. Like, like specifically, the thing is, like... Uh, like for midway, midway for the night is only one version of Straw Dogs. Um, Amy is raped by Charlie. Right there. Um, like, like he breaks into his house and rapes her. Um, but the reason, but the reason why I felt like that sequence has gone on in infamy, like it's become infamous in film circles and that for many people for years, is because at the halfway point, 
it's very much in the same way that Amy is actually beginning to en- is actually enjoying the rape, like as a, as evidenced by her kissing, like you know, kissing Charlie, embracing him, that kind of thing, looking like she's enjoying it. Uh, various things. So, which then turns it from rape into consensual sex, which makes the whole thing more ambiguous. Again, if you subscribe, if you subscribe to that reading, and um, it's also worth mentioning that, um, like, f- she does suffer traumatic flashbacks for the rest of the movie from that, and then there's also, and then also there's a second rape later on, but it's decidedly played as a full-on straight-on rape scene, for example. Like, I feel like those are worth mentioning. Like, um, like, so the idea is that then is the fact that if she's enjoying, it, it makes the whole thing more ambiguous. Knock Knock has that same kind of issue in the sense that the main thrust of the movie, and I have, like, I've, speak, I've spoken to a lot of people about this first off to make absolutely certain I'm right about this, but I'm still not 100% certain, so feel free to disagree in the comments. I, I, or I, th- I, think, I think I'm going to disagree um, yeah. in part, but, but I'll let you carry on with your point first, and then I'll disagree. Yeah. So, of course, again, the thing is, you know, these two women knocking his door, come in, and they're there. And then proceed to spend the, re- uh, the next 45 minutes... Not film time about that, but the um, like, but in, in film time, um, essentially forcibly coming on to him, uh, like like trying trying to seduce him whilst he sits there the entire time and go, I can forcibly rebuff him of like, nope, nope, not gonna do it, not gonna have sex with you, nope, don't want to, right there. Uh, then by the time their cab comes, they're supposed to leave. Um, Kelly um, finds them in the bathroom where they're naked, and they say, and they unzip his pants and for, and um, give him a blowjob against his will. And then that eventually transitions into um, a threesome at that point there. Um, and that really rankled me because, well, the, despite the initial, like, the initial contact there is, well, rape. Like, they, they, initiate, they initiated sexual assault on him prior to, like, without his consent, even though he kept just saying no, 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 and then continued to go through with it. Because then the entire second half of the movie is then is them punishing him for that. Like, and and especially since films like these as well often come off as sort of morality plays in a way as well. So, and then... I, mean, I, I, I think, I, I think right. this is yeah, maybe on, where I, dis- I disagree. Because you find out later on in the plot, it's not even too much away, the, the girls want him to say no that's the whole circle of their game they want him to say no so in effect if he had have said if he had have said no and was actually convincing and and fully convicted in his thoughts and his loyalty to his wife and his family and he had said no he's like no no really not no i'm not having this and walked out you know he he could have done and they would have let him because that was their end game that was their that was their ultimate goal was to find one that said no but he didn't and it turned you know I can see what you yeah. mean, and, and certainly with the argument, I've not seen Straw Dogs, but yeah. the argument there, because it did obviously in Knock Knock become consensual, because he was certainly well into it by the end of yeah. that scene. It's probably the most convincing he was throughout the whole film. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, like, that's the thing, like, but of course the initial contact, that, like, that's what bankers is because like then the film itself then preaches this kind of message of, well, you should have just said no. Uh, but then that also leads to the idea of, well, if you're being raped then you should just even if you're being raped more you should just say no just stop just push away which is very excessively privileged for me and gives off this idea that well of, of the idea that nobody has ever just continued through out of risk of what might happen especially since the entire second half of the movie goes to great lengths to show that no keanu reeves could not have fought them off if he wanted like could not afford could not have fought them off because i mean if he could have the movie would have ended mercifully ended, yeah actually now that maybe, I think about maybe it. it's like <laughs> maybe it's like one of the the cutaway scenes in a family guy joke where it's a james bond one and a girl keeps saying no and then she says yes 
and he says yeah. something like 15, 15 no's and a yes is still a yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, I get that. It's and it's all, and it goes through it so much. Like I bet that, and it's so toned. Like and the whole thing is so toned up and wrong. Anyway, I spend the entire time waiting. Of, well, it's got to, it's got to build to a twist, right? It, like it's got there's got to be some kind of, like rug burning to make to reveal that there was something else. Like like him just admitting straight up of yeah, I did want to fully go through it, but no, it didn't. It just it's just kind of nope. It's just a no. Oh. And like, like, I can't believe it. And I mean, I actually physically can't believe it as well because this film is so utterly ridiculous and melodramatic and just terrible. Like, the writing is garbage. Like, Keanu Reeves extolling, earnestly extolling the virtues of vinyl is something you just need to hear to believe. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> like, one one thing I did like was the the kind of the non explanation of why the girls were were doing what they were doing. Why they I did, there was no sort of scene where they're like. Oh, we used to, we got abused by our dads, or our husbands cheated on us, and this is why we're doing this. It's just like, no, they're mental. Just accept that they're mental. That's why they're doing it. There was yeah, no kind of yeah. sob story to them. Yeah, I feel like I feel like in that case, the film should have better shoved its moral compass behind either side, like more firmly in that instance. Then, but uh, instead of just like sitting awkwardly in the middle for the entire time, especially. As, but again, going back to the whole like, again, like like it's terrible. It gets even more histrionic and ridiculous the further on it gets, and then. It builds to a crescendo, like to its big, like its big crescendo finale moment here. Like the whole point of this whole supposedly straight-faced tale of terror builds to are two honest-to-god gags, like two actual full-on. You're supposed to laugh at this gags. One of them's actually even pretty funny as well. Like, like, so was I supposed to actually take this movie seriously? Was this supposed to be serious? Am I supposed to take anything that says straight-faced? Like the message of, of, of just say no, and the other message, and his su- second message of bitches be crazy. Am I supposed to take those seriously, or just like I don't, I don't know. Which incidentally, again as well, is why I, the fact that I don't hate it and the fact I might actually kind of like it worries me so. <laughs> because like it, I enjoyed it in the sense of watching a train wreck unfold in front of my eyes. Like that kind of, I really should not be enjoying this as much as I am. But the, it's again, it's pure garbage. But I don't hate it and I'm terrified of what that says about me as a person <laughs> well in a complete tonal shift from knock knock to minions <laughs> yeah not up <laughs> it's very slightly different there will be um, there will be no mention of rape in the review of minions I sincerely hope I mean unless somebody wants to make an absolutely terrible and ill-advised comparison uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, there, um, there might be a metaphor or two hidden away in Minions that we might have overlooked. Um, but anyway, yes, on to our review of Minions, which is obviously a follow-up to the uh, Despicable Me films of Minions now getting their own standalone movie. Uh, this has been seen by Callum and Owen. Um, I've not seen this or either Despicable Me films. I don't like the Minions, and that's because of what middle-aged women put on Facebook. We've also... Bloody <laughs> some 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 shit about them wanting to drink wine or something, and then a picture of a minion. It just made <laughs> I hate minions by by association. Well, you, you mean you mean meme culture has ruined something for you? Oh, Steve, welcome to anything in the year two thousand and fifteen. Yeah, welcome to the internet. Um... I hate the internet. The minions are, have been the best thing about either Despicable Me film. And I say that as someone who doesn't really enjoy the first film that much, but I do think it has quite a good and important story to it about sort of adoption. And it's it's something that's not really told very often and about finding your family and 
what that actually means and, and all, all that kind of thing, which is great. It's good. Yeah, it's, Lilo and Stitch did it better. <laughs> which, what, what was that, sorry? <clears throat> Lilo, Lilo and Stitch. Stitch. Lilo and Stitch did it better. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I don't think I've seen Lilo and Stitch since, well, for, for years. But Ohana, it, means, Ohana, Ohana means family, Owen. Family means <laughs> family means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. Yeah, isn't isn't okay. that what they say like in war films where no one gets left behind when the ones like, like they're always quoting Lilo and Stitch though. That's the thing. Right. Yeah, but the characters are actually you know Black Hawk Down. They they quote it. I, I, I don't like the tone. Lion, they quote it. I, I, I don't like the tone you two are taking for Gaston Lilo and Stitch here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this mockery of Lilo and Stitch will not stand. Good <laughs> But um, regardless of that, I think the fact that uh, the, the, the first Despicable Me film is funny is, is basically because of the Minions. I'm not so much a fan of Gru. But, you know, so I think the Minions are the best thing in the first Despicable Me film. I think they're, they're absolutely the best thing in the second Despicable Me film because the story in that is a bit shit. But it was hilarious. And I think I was weirdly looking forward to this film expecting it to be. I think as you described it in your review, Callum, as a gag reel. Yeah, a, a precision tune, finally honed 91-minute joke machine. Exactly, yeah. And that's what I wanted from it. And I think it delivered that, really. Yeah, yeah like I did that. Like, um, I'm, I don't get the first Despicable Me in the same way a lot of people do. Like, I don't, I, like, I think it's good, and that, but I don't think it's great. But the minions yeah. were the part I loved about it. About, like, the minions were fantastic. Um, a lot like penguins from Madagascar. Like, like they start in the first film, maybe they were just scene stealers. In the second, like when they get become more important plot points, everyone gets, and then finally get their own standalone movie. And certainly, um, like they got a bigger part. In, like you'd stand to reason you think that their comic talent would wane, like the more they're exposed here. But that's yet to happen. Like the second film, they were still hilarious, and um i actually really really like the second film as well um not completely due to the minions as well i feel like the second film makes a lot of better strides in there but now they've also got another uh, a film of their own and they're hilarious like they're brilliant so yeah they're... they are yeah yeah that, that, that's basically it really <laughs> yeah. but great. okay no, that was I... great with you everybody <laughs> yeah and there we go wrapping it up <laughs> the um i mean i suppose one of the most important questions um mm-hmm. considering this is essentially a children's film in the screenings that you went to, any children, how did they react? Did they enjoy it? Did they like it? They, I mean, I yeah, guess yeah. they absolutely loved the oh, Minions. They did, but yeah. there was one dad in the screen who was just howling with laughter all the way through, completely. Did you, did you tell him to shut up like you told that girl to turn her phone off the other week? No, I let him so, go. What, what, what was this now? Um, Owen, the... Owen was getting Larry in a cinema. There was, yeah, someone just had their phone on. Um, from, what I remember, from, from what I remember, he had a few beers. And... <laughs> I went over there and I um, grabbed her by the collar and I said, no, but basically she was sitting in the aisle seat. I was sitting in the aisle seat opposite, but a bit further back. Um, and she had a phone screen on doing absolutely nothing with it, just on her lap and on. Oh, and then occasionally she'd flick through the window, like... Um, the apps, and then she'd flick back, or she, you know, I could see she flicked onto a calendar, or she'd flick onto a text messages, and then go back to the home screen and just leave it there. So I said, "Excuse me, can you turn your phone off, please?" And before I'd even finished saying "excuse me," she'd sort of jumped out of a seat, fifty foot, and was pulling it in the back. What was your What was your tone like? Was it polite or was it angry? No, 
No, I was angry. I was counting down as well. I said to my because my wife hates it when I sort of tell people to shut up in a cinema or tell them to put the phone or away. Or when you talk to strangers in public. Or when I t- when <laughs> any, basically any time it looks like I'm related to her in any way. So. She, so basically, you were, I, you were even sat in separate aisles when this happened. <laughs> she was next to me, and I said, "I'm going to tell this person to turn the phone off." She said, oh, "Don't say anything." She'll pull it away. I said, "No, I'm going to say something anyway." She said, oh, don't, "Don't say anything." I was like, "Wait, five, four, three, two, one." Excuse me, can you put your phone away? And then, yeah, There's, I'm okay. my wife embarrassed. I embarrassed this girl for having a stupid fucking phone on through a film. Not, not even the credits, the opening credits, not even like trailers. Just sat on a lap doing nothing. When, um, when, when, is like... it, when is it acceptable in a screening to, to still use your phone? I think never, as soon as... I think, no, I'll, I'll use mine until the trailers start. When it's a bloody free derm advert, I don't mind using my phone. But as soon yeah. as the trailers start, then I won't use it. And I think no, that's the cut-off point. I, I keep going through the trailers. Uh, I don't think anyone's that bothered about them, are they? I, 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 just stand, I stand outside during the trailers, so... Okay, it's... I don't go that far. I did put my fingers in my ears through the Terminator Genesis one, but then it was on every single cinema trip for about three months, seemingly. Yeah. So it feels like so. Yeah. I just gave in in the end. No, God, no. Pe- people like her are the worst, and the reason why movie studios are trying to make us use our phones during the film itself. Exactly. Like, so yeah, take um, that sort of 15 the, or 16 year old. There are theatres in America right now who will be playing Terminator Genesis, where you will be encouraged during the film to open up your phone and play a video game whilst the film is going on. Well, it's a completely different culture, though, in America, isn't it? Because you're expected it's, it's to sort of... Really it's anywhere! <laughs> yeah. no, you, no, you pay money. You sit down in a cinema to watch a film. You do not pay money to hear other people talk. You do not hit, oh, pay money to people pollute your light, pollute your vision with other phones. That, no, you sit down, you shut up. Yeah. I am hard by this. Anyways, Minions. Um... <laughs> well, that didn't happen in Minions. You know, there was just lots of laughter from kids. And as I say, this one dad who was about to keel over, I think, from lack of oxygen, from laughing so much. And I and the kids in my screen basically just provided a nice, wonderful chorus of, of laughs behind me the entire time. Um, yeah, no, I, I laughed a lot of this movie. Um, I... Like, yeah, it's basically just a really, really funny movie. Um, but, like, because the gags are so fast-paced, like they just come one after the other, and they never labour on a punchline for too long as well. Like, yeah. like when the punchline comes, it's just got like I think the best encapsulation of this is a bit where the minions uh jump like jump on ice to try and swim away from a polar bear, and then immediately turn back around because there's a grizzly bear on the other side of like of the pond, and like a lesser film would just like held that for like another ten seconds as they go back and forth to milk the yeah, joke yeah. as well, just cut straight to the next scene. Like, so it's, it's very, very quickly cut and paste, I think. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind it, of will undercut every single attempt at an emotional undercurrent with a joke because it just wants to make you laugh. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, and again, I, like, I do like it. I, I, I do really like the film. I laughed a lot. I love Scarlet Overkill. Like, I love Scarlet Overkill to death. I think she is amazing. I love everything about her. I love her humour. I love how utter, how much the film, how much she's the butt of a joke and how often the film lets her be funny. I love her relationship with Herb, like I love Sandra Bullock's like slowly more manic voice acting. I love like I just love everything about. It. I think she's amazing. I love her. I love her fashion sense as well. Like I, I, <laughs> I like her fashion sense. Rocket um, skirts. But, <laughs> like, but um, like the thing is, uh, um, a couple of things though. Um, I did find myself missing um the emotional undercurrent that um could have been there to push it up into greatness. Like it's a really funny joke machine, and that's fine. Like that's fine. But then I'll, I'm also coming back a lot to Penguins of Madagascar from last year, which 
was also a really, really funny movie, but also invested actual emotional undercurrent between its comic relief characters. But, but, like, it took time to do that, and that pushed that up into being one of the best anime, uh, animated films of last year. Um, and that, that, again, it's fine being a joke machine, and it, this, this would only have been a problem if it wasn't hysterical from beginning to end, and it is. Uh, but yeah. I find myself missing that a bit. More pertinently, and I've written about this like in full on detail on the website here, so please go and read that because nobody's read it by the time I'm recording here, and that's really bumming me out. <laughs> um, is that so? We have five films into Illumination's output right now. Uh, Illumination Entertainment's output: three Despicable Me related. One of them was Doctor Seuss's The Lorax, which is just it's just <laughs> terrible. That is an awful film. They're going to they're going to touch um, Have a Grinch Soul Christmas in three years. Just just as a heads up, in 2017 we'll be getting their version of Have a Grinch Soul Christmas. Um, and hop okay and um well they don't have an identity yet <laughs> like 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 i realized mm. this, i realized this when i came out of minions and then somebody asked me on twitter of, oh how what would you say uh like would you do you think i enjoy minions because i don't like the typical me brand of humor and i honestly sat there trying to figure out what the despicable me brand of humor is mm. like what mm. these songs are um i guess it's slightly wackier than animated films usually used to doing but if hotel transylvania 2 actually fulfills the promise the first film showed then sony pictures animation are going to take that crown from them so um like again it's just illumination don't have an identity yet like they don't have anything that makes them them they're just still just currently with the exception of their character designs which are like very distinctive at this moment in time there but uh maybe because they're old riffs from the despicable me formula but like other than that, there's nothing that screams "this is what we are." Instead, there's still just another, uh, another. We make whiz bang CG family comedy movies, and mm. it's kind of what everybody else is doing nowadays. And again, and that's kind of fine, I guess. And I mean, it's not, it's not going to stop until we get over this perception animation is only for children. Um, incident, <laughs> incidentally, again, this is a reminder: you all need to go see Sausage, Sausage Party when it comes out in 2017. Or 2016, whenever it's coming out, you need you need to see it because if that fails, and yes, I know it's a Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg comedy here, but but if that fails, we're not getting adult animation again. Okay, let me just put it that way now. Um, but like like that's fine, but it it makes me worry that they're not going to have an identity in the future. Like so far, because like, all animation has a problem at the moment as well, where unless you are Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Aardman, or Leica. I really, I, I can't tell the difference between you, really. Like, but there's no real difference between a Blue Sky movie at the moment and an Illumination movie, the exception of Blue Sky working on Peanuts movie, which actually might not suck. And if it doesn't suck, I have no idea. I genuinely will not know how to process this information. I really won't. <laughs> um, so, seriously, be glad, you, be glad you'll just be doing a Star Wars episode that week, because otherwise you'd have me on the podcast and I'd just spend, like, two hours either crying of, oh, my God, they got it right. <laughs> Or, oh my god, they fucked it up so bad, I hate them! Um, I'm very protective of Peanuts. Or, as it's called in the UK for some reason, Charlie Brown and Snoopy, The Peanuts Movie, by Scholes. Because... What? Why? That's snappier, obviously. That's that's what you want from a film title, really. It's just... Uh, yeah. It's, it's words. Just names. Just a whole bunch yeah. of names to the other. It worked so well for John Carter. Anyway, so... Again, like that's but, what. But then, the I suppose, I suppose, just quickly with that, I, I've never known the show until an adult and been aware of American culture and what they call stuff in America as peanuts. I was just always Snoopy or Charlie mm-hmm. Brown. Yeah, but you just call it Snoopy, like the Snoopy and Charlie Brown movie, then, wouldn't you? Yeah, like, but yeah, but I can they've got to enhance their SEO. I can, I know? can see why they've not called it peanuts in in the UK, but I. Yeah, I can't. all I would think of is um, 
Matt Lucas in Shooting Stars. <laughs> All no, the way I, through. Peanuts! No, no, I was exposed to Peanuts a lot as a kid, like, because um, Boomerang would play, um, like, the seasonal specials over and over again. Sorry, getting off topic. Anyways, back to the nation. Okay, so again, like, the problem is, like, they've got time to change, but at the moment there's still nothing that sets Illumination out from the pack, much the same with any other animation, again, besides those five. And of those five I mentioned earlier, only Laika is less than 13, is less than, like, two decades old. That's a problem. Um, but yeah, again, that's not a problem for Minions. Minions are still hilarious and really funny and absolutely worth seeing. It's just like, I'm just pondering for the future. Mainly because I read the plot synopsis for The Secret Life of Pets and that, oh god, you could I could feel the all excitement for that movie dissipate within seconds. You, you really could. You, I'm assuming you were exposed to the trailer for The Secret Life of Pets before the films, like the film, before Minions, right, Owen? No, but I saw your tweet about it. Yeah. Okay, like, like the trailer... Like the Cats trailer and dogs, great. basically, isn't it? Just um, yeah, well, yeah, like, 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 um, like the, tra- the trailer itself is in this kind of like short vignette thing of taking, um, what, like, of taking pets and then exaggerating, like, situational humor for comic effect. It's great, it's Loki, it's funny, it's different. Um, but then the actual plot itself is half Toy Story and half Cats and Dogs, like the movie Cats and Dogs, and okay. not to just set it entirely in Chuck Blazer's flat. Not every animated movie needs whiz-bang action. <laughs> you can do small scale for fuck's sake. If, so if Peanuts, if Peanuts, nothing indicates otherwise here, but if Peanuts ends with like a giant action sequence, I am going to drive, I'm literally going to drive that, get in my car, drive down to a furniture store and just flip everything. I, I, I walk in and flip everything I see. I, I, I will. Okay. Sorry, no, Minions well, is great. I watch Minions. Minions is great, and this podcast has been great, and we're going to just uh, recommend some stuff for uh, the week ahead. I'm going for Saturday night, if you're going to be stuck in on a Saturday night. If you actually do this right and watch the second film on... Actually, yeah, you might miss the first little bit, but basically, I'm going to be watching this one. Terminator 2 Judgment Day is on Channel 4 Saturday night at 10 past 11. Nice. Uh, Owen? Uh, on Thursday evening, uh, slash Friday morning, I suppose, five to one Friday morning, uh, is Metro Manila, which is a Filipino thriller. It's about a father moving his family to uh, Manila in search of a better life, but gets caught up in like this violence and underground crime scene and a heist and stuff. It is absolutely fucking brilliant. Fantastic film. It's only, it's less than two hours, um... I yeah, absolutely recommend it. It's just it's just excellent film. And Callum. Uh well I don't know about you, but there sounds like this very interesting movie called Ant Boy is being released on DVD on Monday. So it sounds like it could be good. Ant so, Boy. Yeah. Yeah. As in like an asylum film. It will probably be an asylum film. That's that's yeah. the joke. Like, these are these okay. things I these are these things I call jokes, Owen, okay. I'm not very okay. I'm not very good at them, but I try them. Um, I did no, see no. Uh, Jurassic City was available to rent. I am quite keen <laughs> to watch Jurassic City. It's probably it's probably as good as Jurassic World. Let's be honest. Apparently, most of it is set inside a building, not even and, a city. And so I, it's I, just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, I say this to somebody who actually enjoyed Jurassic World as well. That film is terrible, but it's great. Uh, no, I do I do have a serious recommendation though. On Netflix right now, The Guest. Oh, good. The Guest has just been added to Netflix. You are officially all out of excuses for not having watched The Guest. It is one of the best films of last year. Uh, all, all of you will fall into the cult of Dan Stevens. <laughs>
You will emerge from that shower shirtless and all of your ovaries, including mine, will promptly explode. Okay. Uh, well, yes, this, that's um, all for this week's podcast. Don't forget you can uh, review us on iTunes. We'd be very appreciative if you could uh, drop us a review on there. Um, and you can find us in the usual places as well. Next week, we will be reviewing Terminator Genesis and maybe Magic Mike XXL. <laughs> maybe. 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 The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. So I'm probably just going to spend like 30 straight minutes going on about Joe Maganello. What a man. What a man. He's the guy from True Blood, I think, isn't he? Yeah, yeah he is. But, all, but also, have you seen that man? Like, I was in London like two weeks back then and was like bombarded with that poster the entire time. And I just looked at him and was like, yes, I will probably jump that man's bones if you ask me. Like, well, he... in the in the original Magic Mike, he uses a peanut pump. You see him use a peanut pump, from what he's I remember. But the real Joe Maganello wouldn't, and that's what counts. It, it, yeah, that's why it's fiction. He's probably uh, like, he'd probably also be a gentleman as well. Like <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm going to leave you. Anyway, anyway, anyway keep Karen, talking about When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers, and if you have a lot of mailing to do. Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.